0: So a quick question, how many in this room, if you are willing, and if you're not willing, I understand, how many of you in this room um, are colorblind? Is there anybody who's colorblind? Rusticoke, you're colorblind. I I wasn't aware of that, although if I think about some of your outfits over the years, it makes sense. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, if those of you who are colorblind, um, you know, I mean, generally it's probably not that challenging um, in some instances, but there's certainly moments when being colorblind can provide challenges for, for your day or for your life. You don't know what color is uh, in something that maybe you need specifically to know the color there 's actually a really interesting thing that has come out in the last couple of years. maybe some of you have seen this um, there 's videos that will show uh, you can see them on on YouTube or, or elsewhere of families who have purchased these special new glasses yeah you, you heard about these. They're glasses that specifically, they're sunglasses that actually address colorblindness. And when you put them on, if you're colorblind, you can see color. Has anyone seen any of those videos? A couple of you, not many. It's really interesting. Because they will show this family gathered for some sort of celebration, maybe Christmas or a birthday or something, that um, the person who is colorblind will receive the gift, open the gift, and then um, it's in a box. And in the box, there's this case. They open the case, and they put on these sunglasses, and then they start to look around. And there's videos of small children who, for the first time, are seeing color. And they're just like, wow. The world around me looks so different. Because instead of seeing, you know, sort of a little bit more monotone of colors in these this this bouquet here, they would see each color for what it is. One of the most powerful ones that I've seen was this man, I think he was in his 70s or 80s. And this family had gifted him for I think like a, maybe 75th birthday, these, these glasses. And he did it, he opened the gift. And he said, what are these? You know, what in the world are these? I don't need another pair of sunglasses. You know, I'm a little bit of a crabby old man. But then he gets his sunglasses and he puts them on. And for like 30 seconds, he can't speak. Because he's so overwhelmed. For the first time in his life, that thing that he has been blind to, he can suddenly see. And it's like it's a whole new world. And the family is crying and he's got tears. You can see tears streaming from behind the glasses. Because he's like, I never knew what the world looked like. When blindness is addressed and we can see for the very first time, it changes our world. And that can be certainly in the physical sense, and as we read the text this morning, that's what we're reading. We're reading that a man who is physically born blind has sight for the first time, and how overwhelming that is. But Jesus also then in that moment has to confront the truth that blindness is not just about physical sight. And this morning, we want to spend some time thinking specifically about spiritual blindness. And hopefully like that 75-year-old man, we can be confronted with seeing perhaps for the very first time in a new way that changes our world and helps us see Jesus better. To get the game on when it comes to living truly, being able to see and follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to turn in your scriptures to John chapter 9. Gospel John is about one quarter of the way back from from the back of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Beginning at verse 1, we'll read the first 12 verses to begin. As he went along, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This, world, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened?' They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. So I want you to think about that moment. We know from the text that the man was blind from birth. Meaning he had never seen. He had always lived in the darkness of his eyes, not being able to, someone could describe things for him, but even in that description, he would have been limited because he had nothing to compare it to in his mind. He probably, and, and I don't know, I don't know how many people who have been blind have, have been able to see then, I, I don't know what that moment would look like, but you can imagine that as he was asked questions of his neighbor's. That he wasn't probably answering them. Uh, What does the text say? He says, "Um, I am the man. It probably wasn't, oh, I'm the man. No, he's like, I'm the man. I used to be blind. But now I see. This is incredible. This is amazing. There would be a level of excitement. Because for the first time, all of a sudden he could see the face of those that he lived beside. That those, those that he loved. You can imagine, and I want you to imagine in this moment, especially as the story progresses, that this is a man who in this experience is not engaging with it in sort of a laid back, like, no big deal, I was blind, but now I can see. It wasn't like that at all. This is a man who for the first time, his world is completely opened up. And all of a sudden, everything's different. And it's different because God, of Jesus. Now, to begin sort of this idea, this part of the text, you hear this question from the disciples. They ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? He was born blind. And I want to talk about that because oftentimes that's what we do in our own blindness. We see certain experiences and certain things in other people's lives. We see them and we say, oh, that's the result of some sort of sin. That's because that person's family is broken. That's because they've made that sort of mistake and in a sense, they're being judged. And it can be anything that we sort of name that way. We can often think about bad things happening. We don't think bad bad things happen to good people. We think bad things happen to bad people. And Jesus here is confronting that. And he's saying, no, bad things happen because sin is real in this world. And oftentimes for us, instead of seeing bad things as judgment in others' lives, that we are willing to use the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that, what? The works of God might be displayed in him. And for us to hear that, that there is a possibility that we are being confronted with the bad things in either our own lives or someone else's lives for the purpose of seeing God's activity. And then we engage with that differently. We say, okay, Lord, how is it that we address this in a way that you receive glory? And other people can then testify because of this bad thing that was redeemed. This blindness was taken away. This addiction was redeemed. This broken relationship was transformed. That then we can give glory to you. Christ's response actually to the disciples gives a clarity to us. It's a big truth. He says, I am light and where I am, there is light, and that has implications for us, friends. One of the things that we say is we ask, we ask our kids, we ask our gems, we ask our cadets, do you have, what do we say, Jesus in your heart, right? Has anyone ever asked their kids that question? Do you have Jesus in your heart? Do you know Jesus? Or is, are you in relationship with Jesus? Well, think about what Jesus just said here. He says, where I am, there is light, So the question that we're asking is, is there light in the world today? Jesus is gone, right? Physically, he was resurrected and he ascended into heaven. But he's in you. And he's in me. So if Jesus is in us, then where we are then is light, right? We are actually the means for the world To be redeemed from its blindness. You hearing me? We are the ones who go out where there is darkness. And because Christ is in us. And Christ is light as he says in the text. We are the ones who bring the light of the world. When Jesus says in the text. I am the light of the world. He's not just talking about that time. He's talking about now. And you and I then are light bearers. And that light bearing is what oftentimes becomes a means of the world being transformed from its blindness. But Jesus' work here ticks some people off as it often does. Verse 13 through 23. They brought to the Pharisees the men who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, and again, we read this like, he is a prophet. No, like, he's a prophet! I was blind, but to no, hear that excitement in his voice. They still did not believe he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah was to be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Now you notice, okay, notice clearly here. What doesn't happen? The man who was born blind has just received sight. There's no celebration, right? Can you imagine? I mean, what happens when we receive an email from the prayer chain here at church that somebody in our church who has been diagnosed with cancer has been declared free of cancer? What do we do? Praise God, right? Praise God that he has done this great miracle of healing in this person's life. If if there is a child who has had some sort of accident or some sort of issue and, and it comes out well and there's this idea of that child being healed or that child being safe, we say, praise God, we celebrate together because that's what you do when something great happens to somebody who was in trouble before. But for this man, that doesn't happen. And you lament it for him that his story, in fact, becomes a means for the Pharisees to trap Jesus. He misses out on the big party. He misses out on being able to say, isn't this amazing? Isn't this exciting? And why is that, that he misses out on it? Because the blind man who has received sight is surrounded by a lot of seeing people who can't see a thing. There's blindness in their lives. And they get caught up in so much of the stuff of Jesus. See, what he had done, it's interesting how Jesus had done this, right? Jesus can heal any way that he wanted to. He could have simply come up and touched the eyes of the blind man. But what he did instead is he took mud and he spit on it and then he rubbed it on his eyes. You know what that is? That's moving earth. Do you know what's... Not allowed to do on the Sabbath? Moving earth. (laughs) You're not allowed to move earth. That's breaking the law. That's working. And yet Jesus did it specifically to heal. It's in a sense him saying and antagonizing the Jewish leaders. And saying, guess what? In order for me to show you just how blind you are. I'm going to do this one little thing. I'm going to take a handful of earth and that movement of that earth will offend you so much that you can't see what is real here. He's confronting them in this incredible way to really challenge what it is that they see. Because in them seeing this movement of earth, they miss Jesus. He wants them to move beyond, to see him, thus some of his challenging things that he says in that, that he says to them later on. It's in a sense the Jews are saying to him, "If it doesn't fit into under our understanding of God, it's evil." Now I want you to say that phrase. don't say it out loud. I want you to think about it yourself. Do you sometimes say that phrase? If it doesn't fit into my understanding of God, it's evil. Are there times when that happens? Because I'll tell you. Happens for me. There are times that I look around at the world that we live in, and I look around at other Christian leaders, and I look around at other people, the things that, it, that they would say that God is calling them towards, and I say, Wait, hold on, are you kidding me? Let me give you just one example. I've talked about it before, but I think it's very fitting for this morning. Um, there's this organization ministry called Triple X Church. Triple X Church is a group of people who felt God called by God to go into and be the light of Christ in the pornography industry. They're not just praying for and they're not just trying to influence from the outside the pornography industry. They're trying to influence it from the inside. And in fact, so much so that when, and unfortunately, we see these things sometimes in the freeway. We see the adult conventions. You ever seen those billboards in the freeway? It's coming up in LA or something going on. They're actually at those conventions and they have a booth. So they're surrounded by pornography, um, the, the people who market it, the people who, perform in it, all the different thing, things that are involved in it. They have a booth there. I remember hearing about Triple X Church for the very first time saying, are you crazy? Are you kidding me? That God would call you to go to a pornography convention. Now, I'm, maybe I'm not listening, but God has not made that call in my life. And I praise God for it. But I remember hearing that for the first time, thinking to myself, you're going to be surrounded by all this sin. You're going to be confronted by it. This whole time that you're there, you're going to see things that you can't unsee. Is that godliness? And at that point, I would have said no. But if you know anything about X Church and their ministry, you'll find out that they've actually been a part of bringing like 150 people out of the pornography industry. They've had conversations with performers at those conventions in order to bring them out of that lifestyle and that activity. They've had conversations with the people who produce it, the people who finance it, and they've been able to bring Jesus in a very deep and powerful way into that place. But for me, I would have said, because that doesn't fit into my image of God, it must be evil. Now, that's a probably a little bit more of a clearer one, but sometimes it gets harder. Asking the question, where is God active in someone else's life? And if it's not the way that I see it, is it evil? Oftentimes, I, I'll be honest, I ask that question about millennials. I don't understand millennials oftentimes and how they work and how they see faith and how they see the church. I, they, they are very different, at least people who are exhibiting... Sort of stereotypical millennial behavior in faith. I don't get it. But the reality of it is, the longer that I live in relationship with millennials, the more I see, yeah, Jesus is present. And he's powerful. He's just doing it in an uncomfortable and a different way than I think that I would do. That's exactly what Jesus is confronting these Pharisees with. For us to ask that question, where are those places where it seems like, I'm not sure, doesn't seem like this is God, but where God might be showing up, where is it that you are spiritually, spiritually blind? Let's continue verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, in that sense, what they're saying right here is, give glory to God by telling us what we want to hear. They said, who knows this man, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you're not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he asked this question. Great question. Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. And this guy, I mean, this guy's unlearned. If he's blind, then he probably had very little learning in his life. He would have been considered someone who should beg in order to have a living. So he gives this incredible little sermonette. Listen well to it. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. And he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. How do you think the Pharisees like that? Not much. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Again, going back to the disciples' question at the beginning, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What a testimony. This unlearned man speaks deep and it's offensive truth to the Jews because he's saying, you're living in what was. You're living because they said, we believe in who? Moses, We believe in the old things. We believe in the things that have been done. The things that we understand. The things that we can quantify in a sense. The things that we can put into this box. But here is this man. Here is this man who has come. And he's changing our understanding of reality. And who God is. And we're not comfortable with that. But the man confronts that by saying... Yeah but here's what happened. And if this is what happened this has to be of God because we know it couldn't come from any other place. And what's killing me as I read this story is the Pharisees then are still worried about his pedigree. What's the what does it say in verse excuse me, 29, it says this, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. If he's not from the right place, if he doesn't look right, then it can't be from God. Friends, in our world, to ask that question, and I know for some of you, this becomes uncomfortable. Because you know the faith that you've lived for 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life. You know the faith that is understandable, that fits into your idea. Maybe it's a, a faith that comes to church, that reads your Bible and prays every day and, 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 and lives as best as you're able in the world around you carrying Christ. And that's a wonderful picture of faith. But the reality of it is that there are people who are living into faith in radically different ways. There are people who are living into faith who don't come to church. Instead, they engage in faith on the internet. They engage in hearing people who speak. They have house churches, two or three people who get together, pray for, maybe worship together, encourage each other. That their exercise of faith is going out onto the streets and living in relationship with people who are poor or homeless or or being a part of ministries that, that maybe don't look like you think they should look like. Maybe their ministry is in a bar. Maybe their ministry is in a different context. Maybe their ministry is with a group of people who live a lifestyle that you're not comfortable with. And we ask the question then, is this of God? But then asking that question, say, is there fruit being born here? That's what the man is saying to the Pharisees. He's saying, I see fruit. I was blind, but now I see. And for us to ask that question in our world, where is fruit being born for the kingdom of God? And that is uncomfortable. And I'm telling you right now, I am perhaps one of the most uncomfortable with it because it means that it hazards and challenges my idea of what church is. And this is my vocation. I think about this stuff all the time. I like the fact that people come to church on Sunday morning and hang out here and you're actually willing to listen to me for 20 minutes, maybe not 30, all right? You're willing to be here for this. You're a part of this sort of gems and cadets ministry that we do together as the river in this body. And those things that happen in the kingdom that don't feed into that are often things that I'm uncomfortable with because it's a sense of safety and familiarity for me. But is God bigger than my idea of what church is? I'm gonna ask the question again. Is God bigger than my idea of what church is? Is God bigger than your idea of what church is? And if that is the case, for us then to ask the question, where are people seeing perhaps for the first time? Where is blindness being overcome? And in that way, we're addressing our own blindness. Friends, there are people in this room who are blind, and I am probably the king of them. I am blind to the things of God in my world because I haven't yet in some way, shape, or form been willing to say, God, you are bigger than I am. You are greater, your plans are wider, higher, deeper. Your love is immeasurable. And because of that, I am willing to be patient and see the different places that I'm uncomfortable with but that you love where you are at work in this world. That's where my blindness gets addressed. And friends, all of us, all of us need to live into that. Jesus finishes the story with the blind man. Verse 35, he says this. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. You notice at the beginning of that response that Jesus says? What does he say? He says, you have now seen him. Remember, this was a man who just a little while before was blind. He's now seeing for the first time. And what he's seeing for the first time is Jesus. Jesus. Wonderful little play on words that Jesus gives. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Read again verse 41. Read it in your head. Read it a couple times. Look at that verse. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that because, friends, you're in this room, a place where you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ is the way to salvation, that there is life only through Him, Because you have heard that truth, you can now see. Whether or not you engage in that seeing is up to you. But you can now see because that's truth. Amen? Amen? That's truth. So you can now see. Which means that you're on the hook for it. There are a whole lot of people in this world who do not know, have not heard, do not understand that truth. You do. Which means for you to ask the same question as the Pharisees. What did they ask? They said, what are we blind to? For us to be convicted by that. Jesus is speaking to the religious folks here. The folks who show up in church. The folks who do all the right things. The folks who are in the right place. And he's saying it's possible because of you not being open to seeing me at work in the world that you are blind. That should cut us to the quick and ask and force us to ask the question, Lord, where am I blind to your work in our lives? See, this the whole passage is not about saying, let's address the world's spiritual blindness. This passage this morning is about addressing mine and about addressing yours. Where are you and I blind? Are we blind in God's work in the life of a classmate who is desperate for love and we can give it? Are, are, are we blind in the attitude that we have towards people who are foreigners within our gates? I'm using simply the biblical phrase here. How we understand the idea of immigration and people who are in this world. Are we blind to that? Because God's word challenges us. And how we understand that. How we understand what it means to love those who persecute us. Love our enemies. Especially when we think of things like other countries that we are in conflict with. Or other religions that we are confronted with. Where are we blind? And I know the longer I live. The more I understand how deep and wide and broad the love And the grace of Jesus Christ is the more I realize I still got some blind spots. What about you? Let's pray together. Living God, hope of the world in Jesus Christ, we praise you that you have allowed the blind to see. You did the miracle of being willing to confront the norms, the ideas of God that were not of you in the lives of these Pharisees, in a way, Lord, that shows us that we need to do that work too. We need to ask the question oftentimes where. Where are we blind? Where are we missing Jesus? Where are we not seeing what it is that you are doing? And we pray, Lord Jesus, give us wisdom and discernment. I'm not, I'm not saying here, Lord, this morning that there's easy answers to some of these questions. It takes time. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes dialogue. It takes the sort of things, Lord, where we're willing to come alongside others and learn together what it means to see you In different places for the first time. Lord give us that compulsion. Give us that energy. Give us that conviction. We pray Lord that we like the man. Can come to that place where you have shown yourself us. Where we can see you. And we are willing to say. I do believe. And then Lord as the man did. We worship you. We worship you with a life of gratitude. Because you, you've changed us, transformed us, and made us new. Father, I pray, I I can sense, Lord, that there are people in this room right now who are feeling that compulsion, that thing that they need to think about and spend time with. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, invade them with your power, with your love, and with your grace. Empower them through your Holy Spirit to work that through to not put it aside and let it go, instead to move towards it in faith and in trust that you are God and like you were willing to work on the Sabbath that the man could see, you will work in us so that we can see too. We pray, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name, amen.